Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb, and we are here to talk about some beasts in Ikoria. Yeah, new set time. The best time in all of Magic, of course. This is what we live for, especially me. I, th- I think you get just as much joy out of, like, tuning a deck as you do from building new ones. I'm all about the new decks, though. This is when I get my juices flowing. I wake up early every day to look at what new cards have been previewed, and this set is bringing some bangers to the table for sure. We had a very difficult time getting our list of cards to talk about today to a manageable size. Yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about. And I don't know, I guess a lot of it is like we're we're not going to be super focused on like every single card of, of every cycle or anything. So it's mostly just picking like the one or two that kind of stand out as unique or very exciting, but I mean, I, I like this time of year. I like building new decks. I'm not getting up early because, you know, I'm just never going to do that, but it's certainly one of the first things I do when I get up. Yeah, I don't mean to downplay your excitement. I, <laughs> I know you appreciate this as well. It's just, this is like, like my magic playing tails off substantially after the first four or five weeks of the format. I, I know I probably shouldn't own up to that as a content creator, but it's just true. Like I want new decks. I want new, exciting things. And as things get more and more solved, I lose interest without a competitive spark to push me forward. And it's it's hard to find that spark right now, given everything that's going on. I'm hopeful it will return if and when things get back to normal. But as it stands, it's mostly the new brewing discovery phase of magic that has me really amped up right now. Dude, it makes me wonder, like, how big is going to be like the first centrally located tournament? when all this is over, right? Like everyone is going to want to go play. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if it's not a celebration of magic, the likes of which we've never seen, then someone has dropped the ball because just getting everyone back together in the same space. And look, it's a long, long ways off till we get to the point where like putting 6,000 people in the same room to play magic cards is going to be a particularly good idea. It, It might be something a year from now, two years from now, who knows? But once it happens, we will reach that point again. Once it happens, something special has to be done. I, I am <laughs> fully anticipating like a 500 player Grand Prix with no coverage. Oh, please no. <laughs> please don't let that be the case. No, I, th- I think it'll be great because I, I think the first tournament, right? It's like confirmed. Everyone is going to be like, yes, it has been so long since I've been able to do this. Obviously, I'm going to go. And that town, wherever it is, is not going to know what hit them. Yeah, then we'll all get there and there'll be like long waits to actually play magic and not enough seating area and no bathrooms and we'll all start complaining again. It'll be just like old times immediately. Yeah, can't wait. Anyway, what what is the deal with this set, man? Like there's so many cool things going on. I love the wedge cards. A lot of, I don't know, just like legendary things with splashy abilities that could spawn new archetypes and everything. This is exactly what I want from a standard set. There's so much here. So much. There's so many new aspects of magic being explored and every single rare is noteworthy. Every single one, bar none, every single one you have to at least think about and be like, what can I do with this? And that's bonkers to me. Like it's so hard to consistently put out quality rares, quality cards that have me stop and pause and think about them. The set just delivers in spades. And look, when I see that, 
I have some fear and hesitation. Like, how long <laughs> can you possibly do this for? But if the folks at Wizards feel up to the task of just putting out set after set filled with bangers like this, then I guess go for it. And I'll just benefit from having tons and tons of cards that I am excited to build decks around. Well, anything else you want to say about the set in particular before we just get into specific cards? Thematically, it is not among my favorites. Why? There's just no theme here that's resonating with me. Like part of it being so big and covering so much space means that I'm not really getting into the vibe or feel of this plane yet. Maybe that will develop over time. I don't know. But there, there's something that's just not hitting the correct note with me. But there's some corollaries to that. There's the fact that the art is mind-blowing, like just better than it's ever been. I like the Godzilla stuff. Like when I was a kid, I was a very big Godzilla fan. I've already said I'm going to get myself a Mothra in foil. That will be my only foil purchase from this set, just so we're clear. One Mothra. Uh, because I'll take Mothra the over. Always my, yeah, probably. Uh, Mothra was always my favorite growing up, so I would like one of those. And you know, weird things like that are cool to me, but I, I just haven't bonded to the idea of what's going on in this plane yet. Okay, what about uh, just like the art and the flavor text and stuff? Like a couple that spring to mind are Cathartic Reunion and the recently previewed Offspring's Revenge. What specifically do you want me to weigh in on? Like just the, the bond know, between just... human and animal thing going yeah. on? Yeah, I mean, that's nice. I, I like that. Like I said, it's it's not resonating with me thematically like as one instance of a nice piece of art with a human and dinosaur making friends sure that's cool i like it but i i haven't gotten that vibe from this plane yet like it doesn't i don't know it, it maybe it takes some limited play to really cement that feeling for me and that's what's missing here maybe it'll come as i just spend more time with the card file and get to know these mechanics a little bit better Right now, still very much in the exploration phase. It's not as immediately resonant as something like Theros, like, oh, these are the old Greek Roman gods. And that's very easy to, to connect with right away. Or Dominaria, where it's like, oh, these are the all-time stalwarts of the magic story, and here they are again. All those things are very easy to grasp just when you first engage with the set. This one's taking me a bit longer. Well, so this is with me not reading anything, really, but it just seems like you know, beasts and monsters and stuff are kind of like the, the the dominant species, I guess, on this plane. And humans are just kind of like taking a backseat and they're supposed to be enemies. And then there's stuff like Cathartic Reunion, where it's just like, oh, no, actually, like, we don't have to fight. We can be friends, that sort of thing. And you like animals. And it just seems like this this should be a thing that you actually like. Well, I mean, especially if you're you were into like Godzilla and stuff, but. Yeah, I don't know. My my tastes have trended more towards smaller animals these days, and these are all just like giant beasts that can trample the world. So I don't find them as cute, I guess I would say, although I guess there's a squirrel coming and it may actually have been previewed because someone just tagged me in our Discord asking what I thought about the squirrel, but I haven't seen it yet. So while you do the first intros for the set here, I'm going to do a little bit of a deeper search and see if I can turn up the squirrel to get really excited about it. Uh, Necropanther is the most recent thing previewed, which is also pretty good. Is it a squirrel? It's No, it's a panther, dude. Come on. <laughs> Unacceptable. I'm looking for the threatened to tentative connection. 
Okay, is that the one one mana if you control a creature with menace, I believe? Yeah, and it's Luca just petting a giant saber-toothed cat in the flavor text is Luca was ordered to kill a threat. He chose to make a friend. I like the vibe, Luca. Good choice. It's 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 weird that you only get it until end of turn, but you know, I guess cats gotta go off and do cat things. You know, temporary friend. Yeah, you shouldn't try and bend nature to your will. You should just temporarily engage with it. That's the message yeah. there. No, fair enough. But yeah, you know, stuff like that where it's like that's that's really good. I like it. But whatever. Yeah, you you search for your your you know squirrel mob or whatever it is. One thing that I want to point out is like all these cards are really cool, and if this were the first set after a rotation or something, I would be super excited about it. Like if this were an Eldraine spot, for example, I would be just as excited for this set as I would be for Eldraine. But part of the problem with the standard format currently is that it operates off of a bunch of degenerate mana engines. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, giant creature kind of fits in that a little bit, you know, Hydrate Crisis alongside Nissa or just like the various other ramp things. Uh, the Cycling Dino, I think, is going to be really good and things like Wilderness Reclamation. But as far as like, you know, five mana, five, five with some abilities or whatever, that probably isn't going to cut it in this standard format, uh, which is pretty disappointing. So I feel like I probably need to temper my expectations of some of these cards just based on what standard looks like currently. Yeah, that's frustrating because I think as soon as we get into the cards we're going to be talking about, I think we're going to start with one that yeah. <laughs> illustrates this principle really well, yes. where I should be over the moon about this card. And instead, I'm just like, Meh, this is probably good. Maybe it'll find a home, but doesn't really fit with the I made 50 mana on my turn and played all my spells for free. Yeah, so I'm going to start with that. We're going to go gold hybrid to like do the multicolored first and then the monocolored stuff later. First card we're going to talk about is Snapdax Apex of the Hunt. This is one and some Mardu mana, so four mana total. One R, Dub, B, Legendary Creature, Dinosaur Cat Nightmare. It's the, Half the, the cast is going to be me reading text on the cards. Yes, uh, a lot of text. It is a 3-5 double striker with Mutate for two Dub Dub H, where H is a red or black mana. Whenever this creature mutates, it deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls, and you gain four life. This is just classic Mardu life card and is something that, yeah, maybe I would be excited about in a different alternate universe. But right now, I'm just like, you know, this thing against like Team Wreck, probably not cutting it. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes further than being excited about this card. I think you would be over the moon about it because it's an extremely powerful effect in mid-range style games about creatures and combat. And that's not what magic is whatsoever right now. So like compare this to something like Siege Rhino. I think it very much is operating on those same type of accesses and also maybe has the potential to do even better than Siege Rhino. This is like Ember Cleave stapled to a Lightning Helix, which is a pretty ridiculous statement to make. But <laughs> I... I, I just don't think this card is going to matter all that much, which is a crazy place to be given how much text, how much meaningful text is on this card. What do you think about Mutate in general? Because obviously, like for most of these cards, you're getting some amount of value when you do mutate them. But then, you know, you lose your investment to a removal spell or whatever. Like how how much does that actually concern you? Well, okay, name the most played removal spells in standard right now. Um, I'm just saying. 
there's there's none there's no removal spells so if these cards are good enough to push people towards playing removal spells then i think that is net positive for magic i want to have scenarios where i could potentially be punished for playing these cards but i think the main point is that it's really hard if you build your deck properly and like account for the possibility of blowout to actually get blown out in mutating scenarios. Like you are mostly fine with whatever outcome comes your way, given the power of the clauses on these mutate cards. And if not, you really can't play them, I think. So I don't think it's a huge downside. I do think it lines up poorly against some widely played cards. Things like Priest of Forgotten Gods certainly punish the idea of just maxing a body really hard. But on the whole, I think it's a good balance and will play a little bit better than something like Bestow. I think it'll be more fun than that mechanic. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, if you get to play a creature that has mutate and then mutate onto that and then, you know, mutate again, you you kind of start going off, which is nice. Like you only keep the one body, but every time you get to mutate past the first is generally pretty powerful. Yeah, and in some cases, maybe game-breaking. And the Mutate card I am, well, second most excited about is one that nobody seems to care about whatsoever, but it does things very cheaply and swings the game very hard. We'll get into that in just a moment. But basically, the main thing that pulls me in this direction is that's really hard for it to have a fail state. And that is what appeals to me about these type of setups is that if you can't really go wrong with it, then I'm on board trying to get some extra value out of these cards. Yeah, Uh, wrote article last week about I, I should know the name of this it, it's like Valdrock or Vadrock because I typed it 30 times Vadrock Apex uh, of Thunder yeah that one uh, I guess I'm actually looking at it on my screen too but <laughs> man I'm bad at this and yeah the, the a lot of words is, here Jerry a lot of names a lot of words this is a tough set to get right I'm, I'm learning a, a second language here but yeah the the fail cases in with, with Vadrock, it's like, well, if you play things that are expendable bodies, either tokens or Fibblethip or, you know, something that gives you like a little bit of, of value and you mutate onto it, they're going to want to kill the token in response, probably. And then it's like, okay, that's that's a good trade for you because you still now have this Vadrock on the battlefield that you can mutate onto later and right. then get some extra value. So you're kind of presenting like two must kill things unless they just allow you to get the value and then kill your thing afterward. So yeah, just thinking about those sort of scenarios, it's like, I, I don't really think that this is a huge downside here as long as you're setting it up properly and just like preparing for those outcomes. Yeah. And again, this contemplates games of magic that are not currently being played. So these Correct. cards need to be so powerful that they incentivize you to play those games of magic. And there's only a couple that I see doing that thus far, and they're not these apexes for the most part. I think these cards are interesting. I think if the format breaks a different way, maybe in the future, then they can be absolute format all-stars. But as it stands right now, I'm not expecting these to come in and take over standard. Uh, take over standard, no. But I do think that there, there are going to be decks like Bant that are just like, oh, you know, like maybe I play a different color in order to get this specific apex in my deck or something, you know? I yeah. think you're going to see a lot of shifting around, I don't know, just like the tertiary pieces in these decks to try and fit in cards from this set. Yeah, and the fact that the mutates contain hybrid mana as well is a pretty big deal. Like something yeah. like a Luna just goes into Bant right now if you're just playing it for its mutate cost. And obviously you want to have access to your red mana so you can potentially cast it. But I don't think you have to go that hard and really 
alter your mana base to justify putting something like a Luna Apex of Witches into your deck. Right. And even then you can just free roll it off Paradise Druid and stuff like that. Sure. Absolutely. So not really a big deal. Uh, second card, Narset of the Ancient Way. One, you are dub legendary planeswalker Narset for starting loyalty. Plus one, you gain two life, add you are or dub, spend this mana only to cast a non-creature spell. Minus two, draw a card, then you may discard a card. When you discard a non-land card this way, this deals damage equal to that card's converted mana cost to target creature or planeswalker. And minus six, you get an emblem with whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this emblem deals two damage to any target. Mouthful, all of them. A lot of words and not that many that I'm excited about. This feels like a two or three year old Planeswalker, quite frankly, and just doesn't do enough on the battlefield in comparison to other existing options. If there is a bright side to this, it's that it ultimates very quickly, particularly in combination with Elspeth Conquers Death. I think it's very interesting. You can get to six so, so fast uh, in those scenarios. You only need two turns until you're ultimating. So that's interesting. And I'm not trying to pass on this card entirely. I just think it's a step below other Planeswalkers we've seen recently. Maybe some spot play. I don't feel the need to like stretch my Azorius control deck into Jeskai just so I can cast Narset of the Ancient Way. The plus one doesn't draw a card. Only just gain some life, make some mana. So that's kind of weak. The minus two I'm pretty excited about because this thing just assassinates other Planeswalkers. Matters. You're certainly doing it at parity, you know, like you, you draw and then discard, but like you get to choose what you discard. Maybe there are some graveyard shenanigans and this just as a thing that kills other planeswalkers is pretty exciting. Yeah, but you know how it is with planeswalkers, you have to leverage every part of the card. It's hard for me to find a way to squeeze a lot out of that plus one in the type of decks that are going to be interested in this effect. I mean, maybe there's just like, a mid-range Jeskai build, which is also playing things like the Jeskai Apex and then tops off at Dream Trawler, but you can't even use this to accelerate the Dream Trawler. So I don't know. It, it has not stood out to me thus far. Maybe I need to do some more exploration, but I anticipate this to just be an occasional role player. Again, not a focal point of New Standard. Just just look at this like Veracity's Contempt. Okay. But that's like, asking that's, for a lot of things to go right. Like the Planeswalker is. has to be at a size where you can take it out with a card that you have access to. You have right. to not want that card for the future, which is another big deal. Like you've now given up on that card. Always so I, I don't know. Maybe like a graveyard synergy would be the type of thing that pushes me in the direction of believing in Narset. And like I said, there is some of that with Elspeth Conquers Death. So that's a nice starting point for these decks. Planeswalkers are tough, man. I, I might put this into play and just be like, oh, now I get this. This card's insane. I doubt it, though. Sure. I'm higher on this than you are. I think the mana cost is certainly prohibitive. Like, it, It's not like, oh, I'm building a deck and I want Narset to be in it, therefore I'm Jeskai. It's like I'm kind of you know Jeskai already and therefore get to consider whether or not I want to play Narset. But sure. I do think the, the Planeswalker killing thing is something that you should not be downplaying. Okay. Next up, General Kudro of Dranith. One dub B legendary creature, human soldier. I believe this is a three, three. Correct. Yeah. It's not listed on Scryfall for some reason. Uh, (laughs) 
other human creatures you control, other humans you control get plus one, plus one. Whenever this or another human enters the battlefield under your control, exile target card from an opponent's graveyard. Two, generic mana, sacrifice two humans, destroy target creature with power four or greater. This card is nice. Yeah, this seems like a big pickup for modern humans and maybe gives us some reason to explore the tribe in standard, although not quite there yet. But just as like another lord for a very clearly tier one deck already, this is a nice pickup. And then the versatility of all these options here, this matters a lot in a format like modern where graveyards matter a ton and Uro matters more and more as the days go on. Yeah. Humans is also reasonable in historic for whatever that's worth. I played against that a few times, but okay. doing a quick scryfall search, like th- there are a lot of humans in standard. There are a lot of humans just in white and black. Uh, you're kind of lacking in the one drop department. There's uh, venerable knight, which I think is a four of you probably play two to three giant killers. And then, there's Hunted Witness Law Rune Enforcer. That was basically all I came up with. And then you could do like what Rakdos Knights did before where you just play Gutter Bones because. Mm. Uh, but like a lot of the Knights are humans. You can also stretch to Mardu and play Hero Precinct 1, Stormfist Crusader, stuff like that. Uh, so I think this is a deck. Like we have not had an actual good aggressive deck and this might be it. Yeah, maybe just tempering Uro a little bit is enough to get aggressive decks back onto the map. Yeah, I, I think it might. And it's one of the things that the the big mana decks didn't really have to fight against where like, yeah, there's there's mono red, right? But like the one drops are pretty bad. They're very bad in combat. They kill you in small increments to some degree. So things like Uro and Krasis matter a lot. And then everyone just gets the main deck Aethergust and Aethergust doesn't do anything if you're just white black humans, which yeah. is pretty nice. So Having those pieces available means that we could just see some churn basically based off of this Lord and then uh, the two drop generals enforcer. I will say we need mana upgrades for any of this to work. So yeah, that's definitely waiting, true. waiting on lands. Maybe they're in the set. Maybe they're not. Uh, but the mana base has to get better for an idea like this to really be able to compete at a top level. I don't know. Rakdos made it happen with just blood crypt, right? Yeah, kind of. We'll see. We'll see if that's a good enough mana base that you can. I mean, like that's been Gruul's problem basically yes. forever, right? Is you just yeah. can't make this work. And it's all about the specific cards you're going to play. I have not looked closely enough at what an Orzov humans list would look like to know what my mana costs look like up and down the curve. But it is a point of early concern for me about the archetype. I mean, your your base white with some early black requirements certainly in the gold cards and a lot of the two drops like the good two drops you would want are black and then if you're talking about going into mardu and stuff i mean obviously you get the shock lands and everything tournament grounds fixes you a little bit but probably not to the point where you want to play four so yeah i mean if there is a cycle of lands that etb untaps i'd be pretty excited about that but it's also kind of awkward where you know wedge sort of set I wouldn't expect them to make the mana too good in order to just make this sort of a free roll. So I don't know. It's strange. Yeah, that's usually where you like to limit when you have a lot of multicolor cards available. You make people work for it in mana. But it it does seem like going back to ultimatums again and not having a little bit better mana (laughs) than we have right now would be kind of a missed opportunity. 
Yeah. I don't know. Maybe everyone's supposed to play Chromatic Lantern. I don't know. We'll see. Next up, we have Offspring's Revenge, 2R-Dub-B. Enchantment, at the beginning of combat on your turn, exile target red, white, or black creature card from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of this card, except it's 1-1. It gains haste until your next turn. So you get this thing permanently. What is the most busted like ETB or attack trigger card that works with this thing? Dracoseth is the one that comes to mind, right? Okay, that's a good one. I mean, th- yeah. this is this is reanimate with haste. Except it's better than that because the creature stays in the graveyard and you get to do it every turn. So there's something there that's interesting. Um, no, you, it, you exile the card. Exile. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. My mistake. I, I read this card wrong at first pass. Still getting used to these. My fault. Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, all good, so all good. So that slows me down a little bit. But still, Dracoseth with haste. Uh, immediate impact from this card and it just going off on every single turn. There's there's some potential here. There's something worth exploring. Reanimation ideas were things that, going back to Eldraine spoiler season, something I was very interested in. It was quickly proven to me that you're not reanimating things while it goes around, and the power level has only escalated from there. Yep. So I don't know if this is realistic or not, but I do like the fact that it has immediate impact and kind of can snowball a game pretty quickly. So I'm going to mess with this card. Expectations are somewhat low, but an interesting little design. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a a decent amount of filtering in red also. You still have like Rixmati Reveler, Cathartic Reunion, that sort of stuff. Yep. And I mean, Black's got to have another reasonable reanimation thing. There's like... There's the 8-drop that you... What's the name of the eight drop where you pay life and give a creature a minus one, minus one, and every time you pay life, you draw a card? Yeah, yeah, the demon. Yeah. What it, so you can you can just play Garuda in your main deck, right, and reanimate that, and then that can also just help you get paid off for having multiple big things in your graveyard, and it's another backup reanimate. Right. So yeah, I could, I could see this doing things, and this is the sort of card that could actually just go over the top of big mana strategies, right? Or like you, you're playing against a mid-range deck like Bant or Sultai, and they're setting up with Nissa and whatever, and you just reanimate a Dracoseth. And even even like the 1-1 Dracoseth, I think, is still a huge threat. Yeah, that's the sort of thing that can actually just go over the top and beat them. So I'm interested. I don't, I don't want to say this every single time because I'm going... I'm going to be able to say it every time if I want to, but being vulnerable to Aethergust is a huge problem. And just it, is, like, it is a problem. Every card we're going to talk about, because when you're dealing with wedges, there's a very good chance. In fact, some would say a certainty that uh, your cards are going to be able to be hit by Ether Gust. I guess you could be, what's the, what's the wedge that misses that? Jeskai, no. White, black, blue. Esper. 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 So you're safe if you're Esper. That's it. And uh, no Esper cards this go around. Or white, black humans. Let's get it. I, I would be fine with them banning Aether Gust, honestly. That card is stupid. Uh... Yeah, that's that's probably not going to happen. But not I, mean, I guess happen. I guess we got rid of Veil of Summer, so anything's possible. Yeah. All right. Next card, Song of Creation. I have penciled this in to write about this week, so that's going to be exciting. Nice. One G U R enchantment. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Whenever you cast a spell, draw two cards at the beginning of your end step. Discard your hand. You you put this on the list. I was happy you did because if you didn't, I was going to yell at you. Oh, this card's absurd and. I will say the last thing I wanted to get added to magic was another four mana enchantment. That's an absolutely absurd engine that can take over yep. games on its own. 
Yeah. Uh, but here we are. There's a, there's another one for us, and I guess we'll have to choose whether we play Wilderness Reclamation or Fires of Invention or this card. But I mean, it's the same trick. You're accelerating your mana very quickly. You get tons of cards, and you are not going to care that you have to discard your hand when you have Song of Creation in play in the vast majority of scenarios. Uh, I saw Dom Harvey post a legacy list looking at Song of Creation with Urza's Bauble, Mishra's Bauble, oh, uh, Lotus Petal, and yeah, I'm very confident it will be trivially, trivially easy to draw your deck with Song of Creation. Mox Opal was in there, Chalice of the Void, so you just go <laughs> off. And then and- what do you do? Uh, he just had a Thassa's Oracle. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Also, Wayfarer's Bauble was the other card, so you're just able to get back your Thassa's Oracle if you miss it for some reason. Or Conjurer's um, Bauble, right? Conjurer's Bauble, thank you, yeah. So it, it seemed solid to me at uh, first draft kind of level and still had access to Force of Will because it had enough blue cards too, so that's nice as well. Wild. Yeah, this is just a very silly card that's going to do absurd things. It's just a question of whether it is better than the other four mana silly enchantments. And yes. time will tell. So this is the best card I've ever seen with Arboreal Grazer. Yeah, that's true. Which makes me very happy. Like how many times are you playing like some silly ramp deck and then you're you're you have five mana and two grazers in hand or whatever? Like this means that Grazer will basically always accelerate you. It is a body that can just hang out waiting to be mutated on because I assume that this is not a human. And one of the, the, the things I ran into just like building first drafts of these decks is like, how do I make sure that I actually kill them before I deck? Just deck yourself. I mean, we don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> we just, we just build our decks in a way that we deck ourselves and are happy about it. Well, you, so like because you discard your hand, it's not like you can sandbag a Thos's Oracle or whatever, you know. And I think that there are some decks out there that can just make it so they just don't die and eventually, you know, like if if you're playing like a bunch of like big stuff, like oh this ramps you right, so I'll play a bunch of five drops. It just means that you're only going to be able to cast like one or two spells per turn, which I also want to avoid. I want to be able to play like a bunch of cheap spells and have this be good. Sure. The the best thing that I found so far after doing like a, a quick look through is the cycling dino. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, just making sure that you can always like hit them with the the big haster. But there there are some other things too that are kind of interesting. Where it's just like Cavalier Flame. Like you're probably just gonna end up with a bunch of lands in your graveyard. This can probably kill them. Quite good with Niv Mizzet. You know. So I I think I'm gonna be able to make some decks around this thing that actually look quite good. Just want to hit people with the cycling dino because they may not be familiar with it. You're talking about Yadara, Wandering Monster. That's five colorless, red, red. Uh, legendary creature, dinosaur turtle, trample, haste, eight, eight. Cycling for one colorless and a red. When you cycle Yadara, Wandering Monster, shuffle it into your library from your graveyard. If you cycle the card, name Yadara, Wandering Monster, f- Monster four or more times this game, put it onto the battlefield from your graveyard instead. Yeah. So you're you're going to be able to get four of these. And then... I don't know. I'm 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 digging deep for a Gaia's blessing to like once they die, shuffle them back in. But mm-hmm. I feel like that sort of that should be good enough alongside like Cavalier maybe. And this is Teamer, so you have like an elemental package. There's uh, Fertility in this set, which is also an elemental. It's it's kind of medium, but could help there. And then just things like Healer of the Glade with this card. It's just like yes, this is exactly what I want to be doing when I have this card in play. Yeah, when your concern is just like, what arbitrary way am I going to kill my opponent, then your problems are pretty small, and you've identified a card that is certainly worth exploring. 
Uh, it may take some calculus to get this one right, but no doubt this card does work. Yeah, and you just need to be able to build a deck that functions when you don't have this on the battlefield or if they're actually putting up a bunch of resistance trying to counter or kill this. I mean, it is vulnerable to Gust and Mystical Dispute, which is pretty bad, but I, I feel like there are ways around that. Yeah, I think you you already pointed to them. Just play a deck that doesn't need this card, like put forth enough threats. And something like Teamer Elementals, I think is really interesting because you mentioned cards that just play well with Song of Creation falling under the Teamer Elementals banner, but also you just have like this B plan of being a pretty fine aggressive slash mid-range deck. And then if you have Song of Creation, you just get to go completely off, so... Yeah, and Elementals already had some amount of that where you just stack multiple Risen Reefs and now right. you kind of have like a backup combo plan. So Yeah, seems good. That that deck might be real. Uh, I mean, we're getting into the territory where it's like, oh, look, another ramp engine or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I'm not super excited about it, but it is what it is. Yep. Next up, we have Loki, one of the most exciting cards in the set, Sprite Dragon. You are Creature Fairy Dragon, 1-1 one, one, Flying Haste. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on this. Yeah, so this is a big upgrade over things like, uh, what, what was the old version? Storm Chaser Mage, Flying yep. Haste Prowess. This is a real big upgrade over that card. And that card didn't really make standard waves. It occasionally sees some legacy play, some modern play. This just seems like a better version all around. As far as standard goes, I think it just needs like better cheap support. It's challenging to play a Delver-like deck right now in standard. Yeah. Although I, I do think there are some other important pieces to those kind of strategies that we're going to talk about as we move through this cast. So I'm more excited about an archetype like that than I was a couple of weeks ago. And Sprite Dragon will be a big part of that if it comes together. And it's pretty reasonable to mutate onto. I you have shock and opt, which is a pretty good start. Obviously, like any other good one mana spell would be very, very welcome, but I'm not gonna hold my breath on that. And then I don't know, even for things like Pioneer, it's like Silengar scoring, what's up? Yeah. Next card, emergent ultimatum, B B G G G U U Sorcery. These cards are ridiculous. Search your library for up to three different monocolored cards with different names and exile them. An opponent chooses one of those cards. Shuffle that card into your library. You may cast the other cards without paying their mana costs. Exile this. So you get three monocolored cards. They say no to one of them. You cast the other two. What are the three cards that you're getting that kill your opponent? I have no idea. Someone else figure that out though, because I think if you put them together... You should just win the game when you cast this card. And seven mana to win the game is like maybe acceptable. I said I wouldn't keep saying it, but Ether Gust, Mystical Dispute, you have to consider both those cards every single time you talk about this. So that's part of the problem. Uh, but I still think there is combo potential here. This is like a new tooth and nail, and it's just finding the pieces to put together. I don't know if they exist or not. Time will tell. All right, I'm going to nominate Command the Dreadhorde as one of the cards that you can combine with this. Sure. And raise four runners. That one's pretty big. Big creature, yeah. What's what's the blue card? What are we doing in blue? Magic Mirror. Okay, that's an interesting <laughs> one. I don't know. That was the biggest blue card I thought of. Yeah, I think you found the most expensive one. There's powerful, powerful permanents out there that you can go and get. And you don't you don't actually oh, have guess, to get permanents, I guess. So 
Oh, yeah, and it doesn't actually have to be, like, one green, one black, one blue, so. No, it doesn't. Oh, so you can get, like, the, the demon that you were talking about, too. You can just get some some big creatures. Yeah, I'm going to leave it up to the hive mind to figure out the optimal three cards, but there's no question that you should be able to find three cards to put together and basically win the game on the spot. It's just a question of, does seven mana win the game actually matter? And given context, my guess is no. Uh, just because of things like Aethergust and Mystical Dispute. But we will see if that's the case or not. Yeah. Kind of awkward where those things need to be in your library, but if you play like, you know, one of the Demon and Enraged Forerunners, a Command the Dread Horde, even if you draw like one or two of them, you're still going to have enough like big hits in your deck to find with this thing. So, Yeah, the ideal scenario is just finding three cards that like aren't that tremendous, that still all fit really well together and are impactful enough that you can just play them as actual cards. And don't know if that exists, but we'll see. We shall see. All right, this is this is your favorite card, I assume, right? Lord Dracus? Uh, yes, this is okay. thus far my favorite card in the set. One UR creature, Lizard Beast, 2-3, Mutate, HH, where H is blue or red mana. Whenever this creature mutates, return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. I like this card, not necessarily because of the Scrivener thing, but because it mutates super cheaply. Yeah, that's a huge part of the equation for me, is that either you get your thing back, or whatever you're trying to mutate on gets blown up, and you end up with a 2-3 for 2 mana, which is acceptable. But also, the next time you find a mutate creature, you get your thing back again. And that's where things get out of control really quickly. In fact, if you have a second Laura Dracus. And and on summon, you have made a loop for yourself. And there's a lot of cards you can put together in standard that are super challenging to play against if they are looping, the least of which is like good counter magic. Uh, I wrote on Star City about this card this week in basically a mono blue deck. Uh, I had four steam vents. It seems unlikely that I will want to cast my Lord Dracus, at least in the early game. There are late game scenarios where I'll do so. But this alongside the octopus and a bunch of one drops and counter magic. And I don't know how people who are trying to live on four mana and five mana sorceries are ever going to beat you when you just have recursive counter magic coming from your graveyard and they're playing one spell a turn. Uh, and, and your clock is reasonable too. So a- as far as new archetypes that I actually think would just step into the standard right now and be competitive, mono blue based around Lord Dracus is the best thing I've found thus far with a, Admitted weakness to things like Priest of the Forgotten Gods, Mayhem Devil. Those are problematic cards, and you'll be weak against Red Black Sacrifice. Maybe something comes along that takes that down. Maybe you find an answer to it. Things like you can Sorcerer's Spyglass, the important effects they have. Maybe that's good enough. Kind of doubt it, but there's options. I will explore them. But on the whole, Lord Dracus is an exciting, exciting card for just blue counter magic based decks. And I think it may even stretch back to older formats because the value of a regrowth scales as you get into later formats. And something like Lord Dracus returning Force of Will when you've played Force of Will in your first turn can just be game breaking. And if you follow it up with another Force of Will and then Octopus on your Lord Dracus, the game's out of control very quickly. So I want to explore that as well. Yep. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think this card is great. And then, you know, you're looking at mono blue stuff. I mean, this in mono red, I think is also quite good. Just like rebuying light oh. up stage or shock, whatever you want to do. 
Okay, so uh, so basically, in standard, I consented to the fact that if I'm going to play Laura Dracus, I also am going to have to play the Octopus, which we're going to talk about later. I really didn't think about the context in Mono Red, but you might be right. This card might just be totally acceptable there. Yeah, I mean, they also have the the Phoenix for a mutate yeah, card. Phoenix but, is good, too. Yeah, it is. It is quite good. But if there's another cheap mutate thing i mean obviously it, it just makes these cards that much better right so I'm, I'm waiting for anything that mutates for like oh mana or just like another two mana one uh that'll be bonkers yeah it seems like it'll be harder to go lower than two mana because i think the cards we've seen with two mana mutate costs are so so good like they are really meaningful cards so i i'm not expecting a one mana mutate but still a lot of set left yep Onto the hybrids, we have Gigantha, the Wellspring, 4H, where H is green or red, legendary creature, elemental elk, 5-5, companion, no card in your starting deck, has more than one of the same mana symbol in its cost. And if this is your chosen companion, you may cast it once from outside the game. Tap, add Wooberg, this mana can't be spent to pay generic mana costs. All right, so now we do our companion bit and we'll talk about each one individually and what could potentially do in all of the formats but i think before we do that it is time to weigh in on this mechanic in general i will tell you that in twitter discussions i have seen people asking for these cards to be preemptively banned in every format as a mistake gerald what do you think about the companion mechanic are you as opposed to it as some of the Twitterverse seems to be. And I will also add, these are generally reasonable people. Like this isn't just the fringes of the internet yelling things like this. I have seen people whose opinions I generally respect talking about how harmful these cards are going to be for the game. Uh, there are some of them that are kind of harmful. Gigantha, I don't think is one of them. I, I agree with you. This is probably the most benign one. But talk about the mechanic more generally. Like why are people so concerned and what's your concern level? So... This is, you get a free card, you have to pay some sort of cost in order to get that free card, which I think is, I don't know, pretty pretty normal for Magic, right? Like, they don't just hand out free cards for nothing, and some of the costs are greater than others, and I think that the reward also has to be quite good. So, for something like Gigantha, right, it's like, well, you could maybe justify playing something like Niv-Mizzet Reborn. And then in that case, you get an extra card in Gigantha uh, if you stretch your deck like a little bit extra. Is that specifically worth it? Maybe not. But I think it is for some of the other ones. And I don't know, in older formats, yeah, there's maybe like some busted stuff with Lion's Eye Diamond or whatever. Who cares? Who cares? Lion's Eye Diamond is busted. It's busted with a lot of different things. Yeah, combines well with Black Lotus should not be a sign of an uh, unhealthy card. Uh, right. I think most cards get to do that pretty safely. Okay, here's here's my spiel. I will ignore Gigantha at first, then I'll get back to Gigantha. This mechanic is so obviously potentially problematic that I have to think that when you're playtesting this card, you are so hyper aware to the potential downsides of this being a thing that you have really carefully thought this one out. I just kind of have to believe that because the obviousness of the repetitive nature 
of games which involve companions is just it's facial. It, it's on the card itself. This is always going to be there. If games are always about this card, then it's going to get real old real fast. So I have to believe this was very carefully thought about and contemplated. Now I say that after we just saw Once Upon a Time be a real magic card, but still, I, I'm going to treat that as an outlier and think that these cards were very carefully considered and carefully balanced. I want to play with them. Some of them seem fun. I would be lying if I didn't say I have concerns, but talk like preemptively banning them just seems silly to me. If they are that bad, then they'll be banned. In standard, it seems unlikely because these deck building costs are pretty high in standard. And I think as far as rates go, these cards are good, but not absolutely dominating. So will they be around in standard? Absolutely. 100%. I expect to see a bunch of them. I don't think they will warp things to an uncomfortable level. And I am not anticipating they'll make games uniform. I think there will be different experiences with these cards. Uh, Things will get out of control, maybe in Vintage and Legacy. Like you said, that's whatever. There's just a bunch of busted cards there. If you only designed cards that were not going to impact Vintage and Legacy in negative ways, I think your task is just too complicated at that point. You really can't keep track of all those interactions. Uh, The scariest thing to me is just the incidental ads of some of these cards. Things like Gigantha. You can play that card in Humans if you want, it turns out. I don't know if that matters. I don't know if you actually want to do that, but you can. And like humans always having a five drop might be important. Ramping in humans might be really good. And certainly this card was not contemplated to go into humans. So that's interesting. Something like Loris goes in a bunch of decks. Uh, It's 100% going in Legacy Storm. It's fine in Modern Burn decks. It's all over the place. So I would be more comfortable with this mechanic if it was more restrictive. But things like preemptively banning these cards it it strikes me as a little alarmist and silly and i am someone with the capability to be alarmist and silly at times so if i'm saying that i think the argument has gone really far but i acknowledge the concerns i think they're valid i'm still pretty excited to play with these cards though yeah i mean as far as like deck building and deck tuning go like these are some of the most exciting things that we've seen and yeah like gigantha by itself, right? It's just like, okay, who 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 really cares about this thing specifically? But like some of them, it's like, okay, well, this is a thing that I actually do want to have access to every game. I am willing to make that sacrifice and build my deck around it. And right. I think that that is cool because I would assume that those opportunity costs do like lower your power level significantly to the point where your deck is on par with any other deck in the given format, despite having like this eighth card in your sideboard. Right. And then, you know, there, there are things where it also alters the way that you have to build your sideboard because it checks in games two and three somehow. And yeah, man, I don't know. I, I feel like this is completely fine, at least for standard. Obviously there are going to be a lot of corner case scenarios in Vintage Legacy, probably Modern, maybe Pioneer, like who knows, where it's just like, oh, okay, like this actually forms like some busted combo or busted interaction or whatever, like whatever, as long as they're good for standard, I don't really care. I think that those things will mostly figure themselves out. And I don't think that any of these are any more busted than something like Oko or Once Upon a Time, you know, it's like 
these cards have to contend with things like force of will and amulet and modern and Tron and so on and so forth. Right. And like, that's a tall order. Yes. And to call for preemptively banning a new mechanic in, you know, whatever format they're talking about. I don't know. It's just like, maybe you should try playing with them first. Cause it is like new and weird and yep. actually see, see if you can do the thing. And then, if you can, cool. You get to crush tournaments for a couple weeks until everyone else figures it out too. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, I think the majority of the concern is about repetitive gameplay, and I just I, I need to feel it first. Like, I'm I'm not convinced that just having this one card that you can cast is really that determinative, especially in the face of things like Once Upon a Time, which was a mistake unquestionably, but like we lived through it, and things like the London Mulligan which just take out a lot of the variants. And I agree, Magic should have some more variants injected back into it. I feel like we've gone a little bit far in the other direction. But I am certainly willing to play with these cards and see what they're about. You get to cast the card once. Yeah, one casting is not going to be game-breaking in the face of most of these cards. And they're like big mana investments in a lot of spots too. Is As far as the repetitive nature of, oh, you have access to this one card every game. I mean, one of the cards is literally you have to play Highlander. Right? Like, yeah. that, that is not going to lead to repetitive game states, let me tell you. Yeah, I, I do wish that these cards were all more restrictive. Like, where it becomes problematic is where they get a little broad. And it's specifically things like Loris, Gigantha, which is really easy to include, come to mind. But everything else, like, has some pretty significant costs, at least when it comes to standard. And I like how it's pressuring deck building. Why don't we talk more about the actual individual cards, and then we can get into some of those concerns a little bit more. These are all Hearthstone cards, by the way. They have a lot of similarities to Hearthstone cards. <laughs> Certainly, even an odd was the first thing. Hearthstone was the first thing that came to my mind, 100%. Yep. Garuda, Doom of Depths, 4 HH, where H is Demir, so either a blue or black mana. Legendary creature, Demon Kraken, 6-6. Six, six. Companion, your starting deck contains only cards with even converted mana costs. Uh, one of the things I like about this is that you can cheat with something like Incubation, uh, incongruity or whatever. Uh, okay, like, cool. Autumn wrote about that in their article. When this enters the battlefield, each player puts the top four cards of the library into their graveyard. Oh, isn't it their library? It's there on, on the actual cards there. Okay. Put a creature card with an even converted mana cost from among those cards onto the battlefield under your control. So like this is the other reanimator thing that we were talking about. This card is cool and it is powerful, especially if you have access to it on turn six, or maybe you're playing uh, Saltai and have like Rose Spiral Paradise Druid, that sort of stuff. So mm -hmm. you could do this as early as turn four and return, I don't know, and raise four runners. That's even, right? I don't eight? Does it cost eight? Yeah, I think it costs eight. I think it costs eight. Uh, yeah, that sounds fine and reasonable and a decent payoff for a huge deck building cost. So I think this inspires a lot of creative deck building. And this is maybe my favorite from a design standpoint out of all these cards. The, the payoff is significant, but not game-breaking. The deck building cost is very real and very interesting and forces you to consider a lot. So big thumbs, thumbs up to Garuda. If this was like the only one of these cards, I would have zero complaints about this mechanic whatsoever. Yeah, uh, you can also play the other three copies of this in your main deck. And yep. it's interesting to me that this does cost like even mana, like you could help it fill a hole by having it cost five or something. Sure. 
you know, to like take away like some of the pain. But like, I, I like the fact that it is even so that you still have those, those gaps in the curve and that you also get to play this in your main deck. But it would be interesting to see them like, I don't know, just, just kind of mess with the knobs a little bit more. Next but time maybe, we do companions. Yeah. Maybe that's for the future. All right. Next up we have Obosh, the, the prey piercer. These, these are all made up words. Yes. Writing articles is so hard, like typing nightmare. these cards. Yeah, this set has been a nightmare as far as these names go. This is actually a legendary creature, Hellion Horror, not a nightmare. It is three HH where H is Recto, so red and a black. Three five, companion, your starting deck contains only cards with odd CMCs and land. If a source you control with an odd converted mana cost would deal damage to a permanent or player, it deals double that damage to that permanent or player instead like this is another one of those things where it's like this is this even worth it no it's not i think this card's pretty good there are some deck building concessions you have to make when it comes to obosh so witch's oven cauldron familiar mayhem devil all conveniently odd casting costs also corvald if you need to keep going up the old what do you do on turn two man don't worry about it. We'll figure that out later. We're just making one drops all over the place. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a deck building cost for sure. You've given up a lot to put Obosh. And is the payoff going to be there? I don't know. You're going to definitely be able to fireball some people out with things like Mayhem Devil. Maybe you're supposed to go more towards Bantu so you have more fireball potential. I don't know. It's interesting. I've had a good time building decks around Obosh. Probably going to prove to be worse than just like a very streamlined Rakdo sacrifice deck. But... I thought this was a cool one as well. Karuga, the Macro Sage, 3HH, where H is Simic, so a blue or a green mana. Legendary creature, Dino Hippo, 5-4. Companion, your starting deck contains only cards with CMC, three or greater, and lands. When this enters the battlefield, draw a card for each other permanent you control with CMC, three or greater. So fires is the starting place for this card. Everyone, because you have adventure creatures. Yeah, everyone seemingly agrees that you get to play a Karuga in your sideboard. Uh, again, there's a small cost. You are giving up access to no. main deck Ether Gust. Yeah. No. So, well, I mean, I, I guess you can sideboard it and just not companion this thing anymore. Is that right? Is that what we're trying to do. I I think that's what you're going to do. Like I don't think you can just pass on Ether Gust. I mean that's and, and like, like robber of the rich and all that stuff. Right. I I think you keep your sideboard the same, but you're willing to have access to this in game one, where you're just trying to be hyper linear anyway. Really, like you just want to do your fires thing, and now your range of mulligans increases a little bit when you have access to Karuga. Because all you have to do is find fires, and then you get to rebuild a little bit guaranteed every time. So I think you're supposed to build for game one, have your Karuga, have your deck with no two drops, and then post-board you abandon that plan and get access to those more interactive spells. I think that is my theory for approaching fires as we go into week one. Maybe I will play it and just find Ether Gust to be too indispensable. We will see. Yeah, this is one of those cards where I read the companion and I'm just like, ooh, living end, right? And then it just like, you read the rest of the card and I'm like, oh, never mind. Yeah, you know? I'm not going to do anything for you there. But like the the Cascade decks, we've kind of been down that road before where it's like, well, you can't really play things that cost three or less in your deck, you know, like that's that's interesting deck building. Yeah, you, you also couldn't play Living End though, right? No, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I'm just saying like in, in general, like kind of making that comparison. Sure, 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 sure. 
as, as far as like deck building constraints and building decks like that, I have enjoyed those sorts of opportunity costs. Right. Uh, next up, Luris of the Dream Den. This is my favorite. Yeah, this is the silly one. One HH, where H is Orzov, white or black mana, legendary creature, cat nightmare, three, two, companion. Each permanent card in your starting deck has converted mana cost two or less lifelink. During each of your turns, you may cast one permanent spell with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard. What doesn't this combine well with? Brian, it's really good with Black Lotus, you see, so we should ah, probably ban it. That does seem good to me. Uh, no, this this is the one that like I think has pushed things a little bit too far. You know, talking about preemptively banning the mechanic feels a little silly to me. If Luris eventually ends up being banned in some older format, I really wouldn't be that shocked because it does seem like it will be completely ubiquitous. This combines so well with so many cards, like making a list feels pretty silly. Thoughtseize in your opponent a bunch of times is nice. All the busted mana production cards go absolutely haywire. The opportunity cost, which is something we talk about here a lot on the show, so low. You're not really making any deck building concessions to include this card in your deck. It's just there. And things like Modern Burn pick this up very happily. So I, I don't know. I, and excuse me, I said Thoughtseize before. You can't cast it. It's yeah. permanence only. So Yep. I was about to question you on that. Yeah, maybe I did find the one thing you can't do. But there's so many other options you're going to have to be able to bring back. And you still get to play Thoughtseize because it only checks the permanence in your deck. That is the really crazy thing. Like you're not losing access to that card. You you just have to play permanence with converted mana cost two or less. So Yeah, and then you get to play bigger spells. So yeah. the first thing I thought of for this in standard is some sort of black aristocrats deck that goes up to gruesome menagerie because this is your three drop. And if it lives cool, if it dies, you always have a three guard three drop in your graveyard to bring back. Sure. So you get to play like a super low curve and still have access to this. And then, you know, you need to figure out like what bigger spells you want to play, if any, but if the rest of your deck is super low to the ground, I think that's kind of sweet. Yeah, and there's just spots where like your deck maybe doesn't have that many permanents anyway. Like I'm trying to think if you can build control decks to take advantage of this, and it's hard because you generally have to do some type of planeswalker type stuff to win the game eventually. And those decks are very much geared around things like Jace to Fairy. But I don't know. I mean, maybe you could find setups that are more miracles based. You're back to entreat the angels or something, and not hyper reliant on permanents anymore in your legacy control deck. I'm I'm going to take a look at it. Everything is worth exploring, and there's a bunch of options where this is just a no no brainer to include. So, yo, land still, let's do it. Oh, Jerry, I have enough draws on my permanent record. I'm not trying <laughs> to add more no, but, by playing land but, still. But you see, you have Luris and Mistress Factory to beat them down, and you get to right, keep so playing your sand still. So it's fine. Yeah, I, maybe I, you say that, and it's like, well, I mean, that's a permanent I could bring back, and now I have my Luris, and it all sounds pretty good to me. Next up, Kahira, the Orphan Guard, 1HH. H is Selesnia, so 1 and green, white, green, white. Legendary Creature Cat Beast, 3, 2. Each uh, companion, each creature card in your starting deck is a cat, elemental, nightmare, dinosaur, or beast. I'm going to have to do a lot of scryfall searching. Uh, Vigilance, each other creature you control that's a cat, elemental, nightmare, dinosaur, or beast gets plus 1, plus 1, and has Vigilance. This card is solid. I assume that there's a reasonable curve of creatures you can play with this. And 
the thing that I want to point out is that like just having access to your Lord all the time and having an extra card is primo for aggressive decks. So we have the human Lord and we have Kahira and I like that a lot. Do you see any potential for this card in basically creatureless options like decks that usually don't really want a creature? Is it going to be worth giving up a sideboard slot to in some instances, have a creature to say pressure a planeswalker or just close a game. Again, thinking about something like a, a control deck, a classic style control deck. It's a three mana three two, dude. Low cost, low opportunity cost, eighth card in your hand. I, I'm just asking. I mean, I think if you didn't consider the possibility that that's still worth it, then you're doing yourself a disservice because we've never had cards like this available before. I and think what is the are... opportunity cost of giving up that one sideboard card? We have to consider that as well. I mean. I would recommend playing 15 cyborg cards instead of 14. Do you in general? think you're good? Yes, in general. <laughs> what are the odds that it's in some point in some game, you're just like, all right, three mana, three, two, let's go. This is in, and it, and it's relevant, right? Like, yes, you are going to cast this a non-zero amount of the time, but how much is it going to actually matter? Uh, go back to old standard where it was like the pull from tomorrow to fairy deck with no win conditions having this card as an option to either pressure an opposing planeswalker or block against red decks actually would have mattered in a bunch of spots at probably more than a 15 sideboard card. I think. Yeah. I just, I don't believe you. <laughs> I just don't like, okay. it's, I mean, it's hard to say because I'd have to look at my sideboards and like what I was sideboarding in and how squeezed I was. But I, I if it, think if it was, a th if it was a three mana two, four, hell yeah, I'd be on board. Right. But like, sure. That's the, definitely the red better. decks. The red decks you're talking about were like, scrap heap scrounger chandra like definitely have incidental ways to just kill this thing and have it not matter you know mm -hmm. and it's not like those matchups you ever ran out of cards necessarily okay like you had yeah, yeah. you had stuff to do with your mana right like that wasn't the issue it was like oh yeah i just r really have three dead mana here i would love to have a three two for free yeah 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 okay yeah, I mean, if we didn't explore how deep down the rabbit hole you could go, we'd be wasting the potential of these cards. And a lot of their inclusion is going to be like very low opportunity cost. Like, do I think Loris of the Dream Den actually leads to a bunch of spots for Legacy Storm where they're in a much better spot than they would have been if they didn't have it? Probably not. But again, the opportunity cost is so low that if you're just picking up three percentage points in a given matchup that might be worth more than what you were doing with that 15th sideboard card. So they already, uh, the burning wish one specifically already play a bunch of nonsense sideboard slots anyway, right. that they probably don't need. So right. yeah, sure. You can, you can uh, just play this card and have it not mean a whole lot. I think there's going to be some instances for like Kahira, right? Where each other creature you control, that's a cat, elemental, nightmare, dinosaur, beast, uh, gets plus one, plus one in vigilance. I think for those those creature types, it might be like, oh, well, I was playing this big control finisher, but instead I'm going to play like two of this elemental instead so that I can play Kahira. And you have like these planeswalkers that make tokens and maybe it becomes relevant that way. Like then you're just like, okay, well, maybe I can make slight changes to my deck and have this matter. I think it's important to look into that stuff, but just do, being do like, you have one of these in your team or elemental song of creation deck. Oh, grazer's a beast, right? I think so. I haven't gone super deep and this card got, uh, it, it is a beast. It is yeah. a beast. So it depends on what other things I want to play. Like I think all the creatures that I had slated to be in my deck were elementals already. 
And then it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, this, this can be a non-trivial body. If it were an elemental, it'd be a slam dunk, obviously, because you right. get like the extra triggers or yeah. reef. But yeah, I mean, in, in that sort of scenario, it's like, well, this, this thing is going to like pump all my creatures. That's relevant. And having a companion with song is very powerful. Like basically if you play song and it gets destroyed and you have to discard your hand, you want to be able to like draw a song and then also play another spell. So having something like an adventure creature or a companion or something out of your graveyard is a big deal. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I was looking at like graveyard stuff. The adventure creatures are like kind of slam dunks unless you're talking about Kahira specifically. Um, because I'm sure there's not overlap with like borrower or bone crusher giant. So yeah. Or beanstalk giant was the other one I was thinking about. So yeah, like I, I gotta go searching deep for card types and stuff. And maybe this is not the right companion. Maybe there's another companion. That's a better well, fit. I don't know. Gigantha is an elemental. So you have to at least consider that. And you can probably use that mana pretty well in a bunch of spots with things like say Omnoth in your deck. Uh, I don't know if you pass the test of being able to have no card with Cavaliers. mana symbols. Yeah, you would have to pass on Cavaliers. Yeah, yeah, I can't do that because I think Flame is probably too good, but maybe. Yeah, like these things are all worth exploring for sure. Right. But yeah, weird, weird times for Magic. No argument here. Next up, Fiend Artisan HH, where H is green or black mana, creature nightmare, 1-1, one, one. This gets plus one, plus one for each creature in your graveyard. X, H, tap, sack another creature, search your library for a creature card with CMC, X or less, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library, activate this ability only time you could cast a sorcery. So this kind of, I don't want to say birthing pod because this is not birthing pod, but you know, you get to find all your cauldron familiars. It's great. I will play mono black devotion again. I mean, it was probably a mistake the last time I did it. But this has me looking at it. Being able to get the powerful effects from your library will matter a bunch. This is an actual good two drop as opposed to something like Yarok's Fenlurker. Your hey, Grey hey, Merchant's hey. being... Nope, not a good card. Hey. Don't want to hear it. <laughs> don't, don't bad mouth Fenlurker, all right? Grey Merchant's showing up at will will be nice. In the late game, two mana, six, six, seven, seven. That sounds pretty good to me. So uh, this card seems very, very powerful, just like as a standalone card. Standalone cards mostly don't matter in Magic right now, as sad as that makes me to say. So this has all the same problems of dealing with absurd mana engines and all that stuff we talked about. But as far as just like standalone power, this is one of the most powerful cards in the set by far. Well, potentially just a giant beater though, too. So it's yeah. not like this is Priest of the Forgotten Gods where that's that's just an engine and your opponent really has to have creatures for it to be good. You mostly side it out against creatureless decks or like creature light decks. This thing is like maybe your actual beat stick in, in those sorts of matchups that also has the utility to be able to be like, well, you know, if, if they go wilderness wreck into X, I'm probably going to lose. So I need to like search up a thrashing Brontodon this turn to like protect myself against that. I mean, this card does a lot of stuff. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of good toolbox toolbox creatures in present standard. Uh, the cost is high, like adding a mana onto all your creatures is real, for sure. You also have to have sacrifice fodder around, so it's not like, certainly not a freebie, but once this gets rolling, it's going to be really good. 
Dude, your second cats. It's it's really not that Hopefully. big of a deal, right? God willing, we're, we'll be able to throw more cats into the oven. What is with all the cat hatred in Magic lately? They're being thrown into ovens, sacrificed to fiend artisans. No, dude, the, the cat has nine lives, dog. It's fine. It just it it brings seems more like friends. Wasting, it seems like wasting some of their lives. Like Just because they have multiple lives doesn't mean you shouldn't respect each life. It's It's just how good of a companion the cats are. They'll do anything for you. They love you. It speaks well of the cats. Up until the point where you die and then they eat your face, which is what's going to happen to me eventually. Yeah, I'll come get your body. I'll let them get a little snack on first, but. And and my foils. Don't forget to grab my foils. Oh, I'm getting those. Don't worry. Okay, that is it for (laughs) the multicolored cards. We are well over an hour. Let's let's just jam through these. Uh, monocolored guards. Okay, there's there's far fewer of them at least. So correct. Uh, Mythos of Snapdax, two dub dub sorcery. Also, kind of not really a monocolored card, but each player chooses an artifact, a creature, an enchantment, and a planeswalker from among the non-land permanents they control. Then sacrifices the rest. If BR was spent to cast the spell, you may choose the permanents for each player instead. People were very excited about this card, and I put it on here mostly to be a naysayer. Uh, again, this would have been good in old forms of magic. I hate saying that over and over, but it's true. Uh, one enchantment, one planeswalker is generally enough to snowball the game at this point, and creatures are a bit of an afterthought. I, I'm not saying this card sees no play. You could find spots for it, but as the world exists right now, this doesn't excite me. Yeah, I got to think about this more. This, this has too many words on it, too many different scenarios. I agree that with people playing a bunch of different permanent types, it certainly gets worse and harder to evaluate. So who knows? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's that's why Casualties of War was good, right? Like you pick off one of each yes. of those permanent types and it matters. This is like the inverse of Casualties of War and I expect it to not be very effective in a bunch of spots. Yeah, if, if you have one of each permanent type and your opponent doesn't, then dope. You know, right. if they're like going wide on creatures or planeswalkers or whatever. Anyway, uh, Luminous Broodmoth, your homie, two dub dub, creature insect, three four, flying. Whenever a creature you control without flying dies, return it to the battlefield under its owner's controller with a flying counter. This is like kind of similar to the Nightmare Shepherd, I think is what it was called. Right. And that card didn't really pan out to the extent we thought it would. I see some people suggesting this is better but I don't know if I buy that due, just due to support cards. I don't think the same support is available for Luminous Broodmoth. Yes. Broodmoth, I think, is stronger in a vacuum yes. without looking at the support stuff, right? Obviously, you like you just play this as like insulation against Wrath, and and that's fine. You're not doing wild like Witches Oven, Migrate Merchant type of stuff or whatever. And I think the fact that cards like this have failed is because of the format specifically, not because of the strength of the cards in a vacuum. Agree with you. So we we could circle around to a point where it actually matters. I hope so. I want these cards to matter a lot. Cub Warden? You want to talk about Cub Warden? Ew. Free dub. Yeah. Yeah, this card is super medium. Go ahead and read it anyway. You like cats. You should be into this. I do love cats. Uh, Three dub, three five, creature cat, mutate, two dub dub. Lifelink, when this creature mutates, create two one one white cat creature tokens with lifelink. So if I'm going to make a case for this card, it does an incredible job brick walling 
aggressive red decks. Those mostly don't exist right now. It also plays pretty well against things like Priest of the Forgotten Gods to put some sacrificial fodder on the battlefield. But I don't know where we want to do this. So, I, I mean, it's just a fine ball of text that really doesn't seem to have any applications right now. Yeah, agreed. Uh, four, four drop slot is like pretty crowded too, but I could see this being relevant. I don't know. Into blue, we have Sea Dasher Octopus, 1UU, Creature Octopus, 2-2, two, two, Mutate, 1U, Flash. Whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. This card is nice. Why aren't people talking about this card? They should be. But I had to laugh just you reading the card. There's so many words on it again. So Try many to go things. fast. I know. Try to go fast. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. This card is absolutely bonkers multiple formats uh the flexibility of your curiosity having flash is big and then there's further flexibility in the fact that this is a modal card and just like 2-2 flash ophidian is going to be great in a bunch of spots you will be very happy with this card i think this completely revitalizes things like mono blue as an archetype i acknowledge the problems with priest of the forgotten gods mayhem devil i don't know how to fix that if you figure that out then c dash or octopus is like format staple levels of good and again i have to bring up lore crassus which this combines beautifully with it is that's the key engine right there and i think those two cards are good enough that you could even reach them back to legacy and possibly find success so i'm about this card dude i think you should probably just splash in your deck just play like scorching dragonfire and shock Maybe, maybe we'll go that route. I'm not opposed to that. I, I tend to try and build like the most streamlined thing possible as yeah, I first I, start. And... I like trying to keep it pure, you know? Right. Uh, I'm going to skip Voracious Great Shark and Shark Typhoon. We, we are just it. not going to talk. This is an anti-shark cast. Not in the mood for sharks today, sure. Neutralize is Cancel with Cycling, which is dope. Yeah, I think that's a big effect to add to a counterspell. And it seems a little underpowered on its face, but it's not. It's going to matter a lot. And again, Lore Crisis, that was a huge combo for me when I was building my decks. Uh, Mythos of Nethroi to be instant, destroy target, non-land permanent. Uh, if it's a creature or if G-Dub was spent to cast this spell. So we're trying to get removal back into the format, I guess. Uh, this still three mana removal doesn't feel good game-changing to me like i'm not saying this card doesn't matter if there's an abzan deck it probably plays it but this just doesn't move the needle for me removal is going to have to get way way better to compete with the things we're seeing in standard presently yep murderous rider is mostly better than this obviously there are certain applications like maybe your deck has a bunch of life loss or whatever but yeah if if you're abzan and you want to be able to pick off witches ovens and uh, wilderness reclamations and stuff like that like you have an option too and that's kind of nice to just have that utility yeah heartless act 1b instant choose one destroy target creature with no counters on it or remove up to three counters from target creature i think you're mostly choosing the former i think so too uh thing in the ice is a card but heartless act is probably just going to be a removal spell the vast majority of the time Seems good. Seems broader than basically any one colorless, one black removal spell we've seen before. I think this hits way more than like go for the throat. Uh, yep. And those cards have been eternal staples, quite frankly. So this probably reaches back to eternal formats. It's good, a solid upgrade in standard. I just don't know how much it matters. Like it sees play, but the game's bigger than that right now. And this does not move the needle for me. 
I don't. I honestly can't tell you what a reactive removal spell would have to look like to move the needle at this point, which is a crazy statement to make. Like, I don't know. Path to this, Exile would be like fine, great, but it's still not moving the needle for me. This is cheap enough to the point where I think you just get to weave it in on certain turns and like kill their mana dork or uh, kill their Nissel, or I guess it doesn't kill a Nissel land, right? Well, sort of. You get to remove the counters from it. That's still pretty mopey. But, you know, just uh, things like that. Maybe there are enough fail cases where I'm just like, oh, yeah, never mind. This doesn't work. But, like, two yeah. mana for a thing that kills a lot of stuff, I think, is pretty low opportunity cost, even if it's not like, oh, I need to kill that Storm Breath Dragon or whatever. Like, just having this effect for two mana, I think, is completely reasonable. Sure. Even a couple if it's copies not doing- will float around decks for sure. Yeah, even if it's not doing anything specific, but like also if there are aggressive mutate cards, you're going to want some amount of removal. So, right. Anyway, uh, under red, Luca, Copper Coat, Outcast, 3RR, Legendary Planeswalker, Luca, 5 starting loyalty, plus 1. Exile the top three cards of your library. Creature cards exiled this way gain. You may cast this card from exile as long as you control a Luca Planeswalker. Minus 2. Exile target creature you control, then reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card with higher converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Minus seven, each creature you control deals damage equal to its power to each opponent. So the plus one weird card drawing thing, potentially very powerful in the right deck. Obviously you need to keep Luca around for this to matter, but the fact that it works off the second Luca, kind of like Robert the Rich, is pretty nice. Minus two is probably not good in every deck, but like this plus a Luna, you could probably do some weird polymorph deck. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think there's real polymorph possibilities. I think this is one of the better polymorphs we've ever seen. And it's very easy to build like modern prison style decks that just have a curve that like tops at three and then you sacrifice your Magus of the moon to go get an Emrakul or something like that. All those setups make a bunch of sense to me. I was more impressed by this card than I think most people are. I see it more as a eternal card than a standard card, just because I'm mostly focused on the polymorph setups and how low cost they are now. You just get to play a reasonable deck that also gets to throw a polymorph in. And that's pretty exciting to me. Yeah, I, I mean, Modern is already doing a bunch of weird stuff with like Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl, and I don't know what the exact setup looks like with this card in it, but I don't know. Like the red green deck is kind of crushing it in Modern at the moment. And right. This seems better than a Glorybringer, so. I think so too. I think it definitely merits a look. Everquill Phoenix 2RR, Creature Phoenix 4 4, Mutate 3R. Flying, whenever this creature mutates, create a red artifact token named Feather with one sacrifice Feather. Return target Phoenix card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. This card is nice. This is a Phoenix that is actually going to come back. Yeah, this seems good to me. I am very interested in playing Everquill Phoenix. I think you're going to get almost always your two 4-4 flyers out of the deal. And if you have any other mutate cards in your deck, maybe a bunch more than that. So... I am looking at ways to maximize this card right now. And I think just facially 4-4 Flyer for 4 has proven to be pretty acceptable, uh, especially given the removal present right now. Scorching Dragonfire is like the main one we were looking at. There's no more Vraska's Contempt around. So Everquill Phoenix might be a card that people are sleeping on a little bit too much right now. There's Lava Coil. 
There's coil. Okay. And, I, I, I mean, feel like I've seen way more scorching dragon fire than yeah, coil lately. You have, like you obviously have. Everquill Phoenix can change that equation and bring coil back into the mix, but Elspeth conquers death is another one. Mm, that's true. But then all you need to do is put a different Phoenix in your graveyard and you're good to go. Sure. And if you mutate this onto a creature that's already in play, you get to attack, right? Or no? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so same you, creature. It doesn't get summoning sickness. You're fine. Yeah, so it's it's functionally haste. Yeah. Tight. Uh, on a green, Mythos of Brokos. It's like almost rhymes. There's some good alliteration there. 2GG Sorcery. If UB was spent to cast this, search your library for a card, put that card into your graveyard, then shuffle your library, return up to two permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. I hate it. Doesn't exile itself, which matters a bunch when it comes to recursion. You Hate can combine it. this with things like Lordrakis to make fog loops, which is what I am doing with this card. Very happily setting up my combos. I don't uh, know if it matters at all. How do you how do you make fog loops? Well, you use your Lordrakis. Like if your Lordrakis dies, you're able to rebuy it with Mythos of Brokos, and then but you if, do the. But if you're fogging, how does your Lordrakis die? Well, there's there's removal. I mean, it's it's possible it happens. I also had like Merfolk Secret Keeper in my deck to be able to go search my combo up. So okay, uh, it's it's unique to see an effect like this that doesn't exile itself. And when sure. you see unique things like that, I think you should keep an eye on it. I agree. In general, this card seems lower power to me. I'm not on board yet, but could be a home for it. Well, if you have the mana, it's Diabolic Tutor Regrowth. That sounds good, right? in theory that's i mean that's why i phrased for, it for like permanence that. only too for permanence yeah only. yeah that's true but you know like you phrase it like that and it's like okay yeah that's not that bad and then you think about it and it's like is is that actually good would i spend four mana on that i don't know that i would you have to have some very specific circumstances i would say yeah uh we're gonna talk about wilt real quick 1g instant destroy target artifact or enchantment cycling two naturalize was a legacy playable card like two months ago and now we just what no well return to nature was or disenchant like all all these cards see perfectly reasonable amounts of play they were a fine option and now we stapled cycling onto it for some reason and like having these cards in your main deck in standard can matter a lot uh one of the first times i ever did this was with like dissenters deliverance in my ramp decks and i got a bunch of weird looks for it but the versatility of cycling in a format that has high impact artifacts and enchantments like fires, like wilderness reclamation means that this card probably deserves a look for some main decks. It's good. It's definitely good. I don't know. It's, it's weird to me to put cycling on the narrow effects that are generally sideboard cards because you, you want this to come at a cost where like I'm turning to a very cheap, narrow answer and this makes it so you don't really have a downside. And yeah, you're talking about like, oh, main decking this. Like how many times did you main deck this in the last few months of standard, right? It's like there's there's Witches Oven, Fires, Wilderness Wreck. Like that's kind of the format, right? Like you just play a decent amount of these. Yeah, and I think if mid-range is going to make a comeback, cards like this are probably an essential part of it. Like you have to have flexible answers to these extremely powerful engines. Yeah, I don't know. It's It's weird to me. I don't get it. Last card, Vivian, Monster's Advocate. 3GG, Legendary Planeswalker Vivian, 3 Starting Loyalty. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may cast creature spells from the top card of your library. 
Plus one, make a 3-3 green beast creature token. Put your choice of a vigilance counter, a reach counter, or a trample counter on it. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Minus two, when you cast your next creature spell this turn, search your library for a creature card with lesser converted mana cost, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. This card is powerful. It does a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, Another card that is giving me some hope for potentially the return of mid-range green decks, which is weird to like be pulling for green decks. I guess I mean mid-range green decks absent just an absurd engine like Wilderness Reclamation or Grow Spiral into Uro. Like this seems like it could be a stalwart in something like the old green-black mid-range decks. Vivian would have fit right in there. Still playing Nissa, dude. Yeah, yeah, you are. Okay. Can't stop me. At least you get to put Vigilance, Reach, and Trample Counters on your creatures and track that throughout the entire game with the Vigilance, Reach, and Trample Counters that you've obviously brought with you to the Magic Tournament because that is just what a responsible Magic player would do. Look, man, I am going to have some nice counters made. I'm going to bring them with me. Obviously, I can't speak for everyone. I know for sure people who are just going to be like, y'all have some paper and a pen so I can tear a piece of that off and like make my own counter. And that's kind of silly, but I don't know. I like this. I feel like, you know, permanent trample horsemanship or whatever, like the riding the Delu horse, like those, those things should happen. I don't know, man. I, there's so much bookkeeping that goes along with it that I am not sure if the benefit is actually there. And it like in and of itself, it's probably fine. Like, this being the one instance of it is whatever, but the more and more we have to do this, the more there is to keep track of that isn't necessarily clear from the pieces of the game itself. And that troubles me unless we're making appropriate concessions to ensure that players are clearly representing these things. And you can just mandate that you're supposed to have clear counters with you. And then I think it cleans up a lot of this, but not really the case presently. Scraps of paper are acceptable. And then a light breeze blows to the convention center and everyone's <laughs> battlefield is completely destroyed. So I don't know. I'm going to buy some dope tokens from RK Post or SCG is going to make a, a six-sided die that just has a bunch of different counters on it or whatever. Like I, there, are, there are various fixes to these problems. And if people don't bring things to the convention center and then have to buy them from RK or the SCG booth, I think that's fine. I agree with you but let's mandate them. That's all I ask. Just mandate. Just mandate yeah. No, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. I will happily show up and display my tokens and my checklist cards and whatever it else, whatever else you require me to bring. It's just weird that people like would push back against that because we all take the effort to bring these super expensive pieces of cardboard that we go through the trouble of acquiring and like, We'll spend $500 on our deck, but ask me to spend 50 cents on tokens, and I am outraged. How dare you insist that I show that level of preparation? Nah, because there are people who go to every SCG tour event that don't have cards, and they show up the morning of asking for decks. Like, they, they can't even bring their decks with them, right? So how can you ask them to, to bring a die or whatever? But they find them. They get them. They end up with decks in the end, and in the same way, just re- have that requirement for dice and counters and those type of things. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you for conceding this one. I'm not conceding. I just don't want to argue anymore because we, <laughs> okay. we've been at this for forever. You want to start the podcast with this, man. I'll, I'll kill 15 minutes on it for sure. Sure. We take those as victories anyway. That's fine. Anyway. Just beaten into submission. Anyway, every week 
we solicit the fine folks of our Discord who are our patrons. And I'm just, I'm so tired at the end of this episode. So much reading. <laughs> we solicit them for questions. We pick one arbitrarily, send that person uh, arena decklist enamel pin, uh, you know, assuming the, the post office is functional. I actually don't even know, but. Oh, I think it's fine through like June. I read it'll be funded through June and then it'll collapse. And that institution of our society will crumble. So don't worry about it until June, Gerald. All right. So I have to start training some Falcons or something. What do, what do I got to do? Uh, pigeons, I think would be easier and more cost effective. Pigeons are very smart. Uh, they have a long history of being used for communication. So I would look in that direction first. Falcons are dope though. They are no dispute here. Oh, also, I want to point out Squirrel Master, appropriately so, pointed out the squirrel in the set is Helica Glider. It is a 2-2 Nightmare Squirrel, and it doesn't matter at all. Really? This is what we waited for, for a return of squirrels in Standard? I am so upset by this card. Did you read the flavor text? It could subsist on seeds, but its preferred fare is your face. Hate it. (laughs) People are already unfairly prejudiced against squirrels this is not helping the situation whatsoever uh, it's got a lot of appendages too it does this isn't even a cute squirrel it's got like six arms and flying all over the place i don't know coming, i coming want more from my squirrels. straight for your face straight for the yeah. face all right what question do we like this week brian so this week's question comes to us from sean hunter aka the baron of bacon and sean wants to know Things to do while listening to podcasts. I usually listen while driving and I am struggling to keep up with my favorites. And I have to say, when I read this question, my mind was kind of blown because our numbers have been down a little bit recently. I kind of wrote it off to, you know, maybe people not being into the topics we're talking about or being towards the end of the standard season. So usually we trend down as the standard season goes on. I didn't even no, contemplate the fact that it, it's just hard to listen to podcasts right now for some people. They, people just don't like us, man. That's fine. Well, that too. That's certainly part of it. So we've we've had a few interactions with Sean in the past, and he's uh, brought his girlfriend up a few times. Like she has asked us questions or like had him ask us questions and stuff. So I don't know if I, I would assume that Sean and her live together. And for me, I live alone, so I can just, you know, blast that and do do whatever I want while I'm doing it. So like sometimes I'll have podcasts going while I'm playing video games, hopefully like a game where I don't actually need or want the sound on or just do it while I'm like cleaning or making dinner or whatever. You know, Uh, you could also go the Brian route of doing this like exercise thing. Uh, I think you could listen to podcasts while you're going for a run but i don't know yeah i have a few spots where i listen to podcasts and i do listen to a lot of podcasts and also i don't drive to work so i think i am actually pretty well set up to answer this question even before all this stuff it's not like i had a daily drive that i had to do so my main podcast time is certainly running and i run every day and pretty far distance so like that puts basically an hour of podcast listening into my day every single day so that's good. Shower is another big one for me. I have a waterproof that's, that's Bluetooth tough. speaker. Okay, okay. I was going to yeah, say, you, like, how do you actually do that? You have to make some concessions for sure. But water t- waterproof Bluetooth speaker hangs right on the shower head. Uh, so I listen to podcasts in the shower. Playing video games, but very specific video games. I can't do it. anything that requires like super high attention. 
if I'm playing like an MMO Animal Crossing type thing, then I am down to listen to podcasts while I do that. Yep. Otherwise, it doesn't really work. Uh, the last one is falling asleep, which I have mixed opinions about because Don't then I have it. to like find where I fell asleep the next day and yep. I often miss things and repeat things. So that's really not an ideal one and I probably shouldn't recommend that one. But I, I do think the other three work out really well for me and it's really just about like what kind of things can you multitask through? Like that is why podcasts are such an appealing medium. That's why you and I both love podcasts so much is that it's just the ultimate multitasking thing. Like you get to learn something while doing some other thing you enjoy. And I, I think that if you just think about the things you're doing that you enjoy, that you have some mental space left over to devote to something like a podcast and start inserting them there, you'll find there's actually ample opportunities to do so. And it may take some technological concessions like, you know, the waterproof speaker is one, uh, but those are available somewhat cheap right now. Hopefully you can still get them shipped to your house if you were into this idea. Um, might take a while. Were, yeah, it might be a little bit delayed, but still out there available. I have a little, it's called like the Bose, Bose Micro Sound Link. That's really good. Uh, and it comes with like a very convenient strap to put it on to your... How much is shower it nozzle? I think it was like sixty bucks. Okay, that's not bad. Yeah, I mean it's definitely on the lower end of their products. I know Bose can get very expensive sometimes, yeah. but uh, this is like their smallest speaker, and it sounds nice too. I, I sometimes will listen to music in the shower as well, so recommend that one. And I'm sure you can find probably even more options out there if you take a look. Yeah, so I I don't live with my partner, but when she and I are together, we can certainly do our own thing and just kind of like hang out in silence and both be able to enjoy that. So like she'll be doing her own thing, I'll be doing my own thing. And like it's very easy for me to put on headphones and listen to a podcast while, you know, she's watching TV or playing a game or something. And that has been pretty convenient. Uh, You could also try finding podcasts that, you and your partner both want to listen to, I don't know, just like things like cereal or whatever. Like, obviously that's like ancient at this point, but like there are things like that. Maybe like this American life is another one that I think is good and would appeal to a lot of different people. But yeah, I mean, you can either find ways to do it separately if you're spending a lot of time with someone else or find ways to integrate that into your together time also. Beautiful idea. My wife generally hates all of my podcasts, but she loves the Arena Decklist podcast. Cannot get enough of it. I'll tell you that. Because it helps pay the bills or? Uh, mostly that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she she doesn't want to can... listen to it. She really wants there to be episodes of it, but she doesn't want to hear it ever. Right. And just like get you away from her for a couple hours. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So she works from home exclusively now. And she worked from home a lot before anyway, so she was pretty well set up for it. But I just, you know, I am generally easily distracted pretty flighty and wandery throughout my day. And I just like randomly walk into her office and bother her for like eh, 10 minutes of every hour, I would say accomplishing nothing, just being a general nuisance. And so if I'm occupied recording this podcast for a few hours, it's a well-needed reprieve for her. So this, this being like an almost two hour cast, I I get to say you're welcome, Janelle. Yeah. Yeah. She is. She's over the moon right now. Awesome. Well, Preview season is great. This has been an episode that's been very fun and good, but also I'm exhausted. So you can sign us out and we will be back next week with some more preview cards. Maybe all of them, actually. Might be top 10 time. But for now, that's game. 
Good luck.